You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Amen. It's been good. Thank you for all of you who are guests with us for letting us take care of and enjoy and worship with your children this week. It has been such a blessing. And um, some of you I know, some of you I don't. I'll be here around this area until all of you are gone today. So I hope that I'll have the opportunity to meet you if I have not already or reconnect with you. And uh, I look forward to doing that. If you would, if you have a Bible with you, if you turn in the Bible to the book of Jonah, we are in the middle of a series on Jonah. And um, it's been a, I think I would say at least from my heart, it's been a good time together in the Word. And we're going to continue that time today. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 3 of Jonah. Uh, I, I want to kind of give you a picture of where we've been as we kind of line up on this. But let me just read the portion of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. It's chapter 2, verse 10. It leads us into all of chapter 3, which is 10 verses. So let me just read that and pray for us. And then I'm going to kind of back up and we're going to talk about what this means for us today in light of the story of Jonah. And just so you know, everything here that we do is always pointing is always pointing us to find that our hero is never in one of the folks in these Bible stories in the Old or New Testaments other than the person of Jesus. Jesus is always the hero. He is always the one that we point to. And we will forever, until the Lord comes and takes us home, and then when we go to be with Him, we will preach Christ and Him crucified because that is all we resolve to know in front of one another. And so let us read the Word together. We'll see how it points us to Jesus and what we should do about it. And hopefully you'll find something today that God will use to speak to you. Uh, I'm a little thrown off if you notice I don't have to do with myself because I don't have this big giant pulpit we usually have up here. And uh, I want to share a little bit with you. I give Tyler Armstrong, this is his last day with us officially. And so if you're not planning to come uh, to enjoy some time with us uh, as we gather to celebrate his kind of farewells, the Lord puts him on a new assignment at 2 o'clock today. I hope you'll do that. But um, I always mess with him because he uses these round tables to preach from like another real famous preacher does. And so just so you know, I want you to share in the joke that's going on right now. Uh, they were going to set me up with that table because I give him a real hard time about it. And I would literally be staring at my belly button the whole time. It would not be fun for you guys. And uh, so he put a picture of that preacher up here for me to look at while I preached to you today. So thank you, Tyler or Luke, whoever it was. I really appreciate it. Thank, thanks a lot, Tyler. Thank you. All right, let me read Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 10. I know it sounds crazy, okay, this very first word. Let me say this. We believe in crazy things here because we believe that God sent his son to become one of us, fully God and fully man, who then lived the perfect life that we can never live, and he died the death that we all deserve for our sin, even though he was sinless. And then he raised from the dead three days later. So we believe in crazy miracles. And here it talks about this, and you could just imagine this is not true, but all accounts and historically the things that we know about it, this is an account of a story that has a lot of backing uh, in history, and uh, we believe this next statement I'm about to make. I had to say that because it's crazy even when I look at it. But chapter 2, verse 10 starts off like this, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let me pause one more time and say this before we go any further. Does that sound crazy to you? It sounds crazy to me. In fact, I gave Luke, our 
person over all things communication. I gave him a really hard time because the bumper that we usually have as I walk up here has this in it. Can you hit that bumper real quick? You added a little bit to that. Okay, good. All right, that's enough. You can stop it now. So here, here's the thing. They, Luke put that up here and I argued it. The Bible doesn't say it was a whale. Do you see that word? There's a word for that kind of language in the scriptures, but or in the Hebrew, but that's not it. It says it was a fish. But to, I was corrected this week in some part. Did you guys see the article that came out this week about the man who literally was engulfed in the mouth of a whale? Did y'all see that? Now, at least he says he was. I don't know. He was fishing for um, lobster. I call it giant crawfish. And while he was going for them, a whale came up and totally engulfed him in his mouth. And he felt the weight of the whale all around him. And then it spit him back out. So I stand corrected, Luke. I apologize. Uh, it could have been a whale. It could have always been a whale. But I didn't think it was. So sorry for that. That's just some funny stuff. Have you ever heard such? It actually happened this week. Uh, So here we go again. The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. And by that word great, it means large. It was a horrendous city, known as a terrorist state, if we had that kind of language back then. They were horrible to the people that they took conquest over. They treated them so poorly, I can't mention it in our current uh, audience with all these children. They were horrible people, but the city was huge. It says, so Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth from one side to the other with all of the outside parts of the city, all the people that lived there, about three days to get through it all, to see it all. And it says this in verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let me pray for us. Father, would you guide our minds and open our hearts to the truth of your word today? And would you, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, apply it to us in such a way that we understand how we should change to become more like Jesus? Lord, help us today. We need you to do that work in us and give us the strength the courage and the power to change for your glory and for your praise. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so let's back up a little bit. And I want to ask this question to all of us today, myself included. I've been asking this question for quite some time. And I want you to ponder this as we go through the story. I want you to kind of insert yourself into the story here. And I want to ask this question to, to kind of resonate with you the rest of the morning time we have together. Have we become like Jonah? Have you, have I, have we become like Jonah? See, Jonah was called out in chapter 1. The same words we saw here in chapter 3, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and, they told him, and the Lord told him to go to Nineveh and cry out against the city. In fact, over in verse 2, it says of chapter 1, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so Jonah, though, in the first part, he tucks tail and runs the complete other way. And we're not exactly sure why, but it's probably because he knew his countrymen would be mad at him because Nineveh was an enemy probably because he was fearful of what they might do to him because he knew how they treat people that are not of them and who they want to, to defeat. Uh, we're not exactly sure what was the reason, but we know that he tucked tail and ran the complete other way. And the Bible gives us this really cool illustration as, it, as the, the, the author kind of tells us a story about how he went down to Joppa to get onto a ship. He went down into the ship, then he went down into the inner parts and he fell asleep and God sent this huge tempest, this huge storm against the ship because of Jonah's disobedience. And then the people on the ship, these pagan guys, none of it, none, uh, can't talk. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh to preach to these folks that weren't of the Israelites, the pagans they would call them. And so he went down to this ship while it's full of other pagans going the complete opposite way from Nineveh. And as he gets on the ship, the storm, God hurls it upon them and the people on the ship are freaking out and they start throwing all the stuff overboard to lighten the ship so it won't go down. And then they, Send the captain down, and he basically tells Jonah, get up and pray to your God. We're all praying to our gods. Pray to your God that he might save us. So Jonah gets up. He doesn't pray. He gets up, and he comes up top, and they cast lots. It's a way in the ancient world to determine whose fault something is. They cast lots to see who the reason is for this problem, and the lot, of course, falls on who? Jonah. That's right. It falls on Jonah. And so Jonah confesses, yeah, I'm running from God. He told me to go and preach this message to Nineveh. And they are like, why in the world did you do this to us? All right? And actually, the, the captain, when he went down, he had said the same words. Rise up. Rise up. Get up and call out to your God, just like he'd been told to rise up and call out to Nineveh. And so Jonah then tells them, if you will just throw me overboard, it'll stop all your problems. And they, you know what they do? They don't do that. They show him mercy. And they try to row to shore, and they try to get to shore, but they can't get to shore. And so they end up praying to God, using his name, Yahweh. They pray to him, and they ask for forgiveness, and that God wouldn't hold it against them. And they do what Jonah told them, and they throw him overboard. And immediately, the storm stops, and the sea's quiet. And then those pagan men, those non-believers, worship God and make sacrifices to him and vow to him, showing they had been converted to believing in the one true God. So Jonah ran from going to the pagans with the message of good news of mercy from God, and instead God took him to a place where he gave a message to the unbelievers anyway, and they came to faith, and he got thrown into the sea. And in chapter 2, we see this message of where he's following down in the depths, and he's recounting, after he's been swallowed up by a fish, he's recounting about how he cried out to God from the depths, and his death was swallowing him up. God saved him out of that. He heard his cry. He heard his prayer. And he says, salvation is of the Lord. And then we pick it up at the end where the Lord spoke to the fish and spewed him out, vomited him out onto dry land. 
My question, though, is have we become like Jonah? Jonah, in all of that, before he was in the, the belly of the fish, he wasn't praying for the Ninevites. He wasn't praying for the pagans. He wasn't talking to God. He was running from the face of God. He didn't want to be in his presence. And I wonder if we become like Jonah in some of those ways too. Maybe you are running today from the presence of God or from being face-to-face with him. But the good news is you can't outrun him. He is everywhere all at once, and all you have to do is turn your eyes back to him, and he is there. In Jonah 3, 9, that I read a minute ago, it says there, Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The, the king is crying that out to the people. He's praying, asking people to pray on behalf of everyone in the nation. But even here, we see that Jonah, for the third time, has not exp- expressed any concern for them. He just finally goes, after being almost drowned and swallowed up by the fish. He finally goes and does what he's told to do, but he just gives the simple message when he gets there, and he tells them, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Not a whole lot of grace or mercy, but it worked. The message worked because it's God's message, and it changes people. And we've been given a message like that as those who believe in Jesus. Jesus gave us a message similar to that when right before he was about to leave, after he had gone to the cross, after he died, after he raised from the death, raised from the grave, and he was talking with his people right before he ascended to go to be with the Father to prepare a place for us. He gave us a similar message in Matthew 28. And it recounts it this way in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's given us a similar message, the same message really, the message of grace in the gospel of Jesus. Jonah didn't know Jesus, but he knew the promise of the coming one. And that's where the faith was for those who trusted in God. And he's given us a similar message. So I ask you, as we think about the the possibility that maybe we become like Jonah, I wonder, have we neglected to obey God's command as people who say we love Jesus Love the Lord because He first loved us. Have we neglected God's command to give that message of mercy to our lost community? Have we done so in our complacency? Have we done so maybe by worrying about keeping the peace in our families or with our friends to not talk about things that are difficult to talk about, you know, keeping politics and religion off the dinner table? Have we neglected to give the greatest message, the most important message we could ever give for the sake of averting God's wrath from people that we love and know? That's a question that might need to resonate in us. Maybe, step out a little bit here. Watch out. Are you ready? I like to talk back. Are you ready? Okay. Has our inherent racism, and I know I don't like to say that, we're not racist, but everybody is at some level inside. We fight it hopefully, but we are. Has that cost us or stopped us or inhibited us from being faithful with the gospel to all people in our community? Are we only reaching people like us? Because there's a lot of people, 100,000 people in Ottawa County that need to know Jesus. And on any given Sunday, at least 70,000 of them are not anywhere gathered to worship our Lord. Has our propensity towards self-focused living inhibited or sidetracked our commitment to God's command to do the work of an evangelist by sharing the good news about Jesus. I'm not telling you to go out there and tell everybody they're going to hell like Jonah basically did. 
and repent. You, that's part of the message. But the real message is that God loves you and gave his son Jesus for you. So you don't ever have to worry about going to hell if you'll just turn and love him because he first loved you. That's the good news. I want you to see this. If you put your hope and faith in Jesus before, I want you to be reminded of part of Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. In verse 5 and 6, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. In other words, the bottom of the sea. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That's talk about death, about going down to death. And he says, Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And I'm here to tell you, that if you have put your hope and faith in Jesus, God has brought you up from the pit. And that is the good news. No matter how far you've run, no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how many times you've not done what you should do, if you put your hope and faith in Jesus, God can bring you up out of the pit of death and of hell and of enslavement to sin. And you can have freedom in Jesus. And that is good news. And that's what it seemed like Jonah was finding here. But we should take note that later on, next week, this is a, a, a precursor to what's coming, so you want to come back and hear the rest. Next week we're going to see it's not really as full-hearted as we thought his prayer was in chapter 2 when we get to chapter 4. But I'm here to tell you that we, if you put your hope and faith in Jesus, even today for the first time, you have been brought up out of the pit. And what a glorious God we serve, that he does not have to save us, even though we're the ones who go against him. And he deserves all glory and all praise all the time, but yet he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to come and pay the price for your debt of sin and my debt of sin so that we could be brought into the family of God so that we could enjoy him forever. That's a good, glorious God. That's the kind of God we want to serve. We don't want to serve the sinful self that wants to destroy us. We don't want to serve the enemy who wants to see our demise. We want to serve the king who gave his life for us because he loved us and took the wrath that we deserve. Do you remember that? For those of you who know Jesus, do you remember the day that God saved you? The first moment you met him and he turned your heart from stone to flesh? Do you recall that day? Do you remember what it felt like in those moments? Do you remember the day you first experienced God's unmerited grace in spite of your own sinfulness? of being his enemy, then let us see and celebrate our salvation in Jesus. Let us see it and celebrate it. And faith family, let us celebrate what God is doing even in our midst today. We've been through a hard season in the not too distant past. We've seen some things, experienced some things that have been hard and difficult and heartbreaking and I want to encourage you today that God is working in our midst and doing things to prepare us to be the church that will impact this community in a way that we could not have if we had not gone through the difficulty. I don't understand it. I don't pretend to, to realize why it's all happening and the fullness of it. But I can promise you this, that he is bringing us up out of the pit and is leading us to be the people and to be the church that we were always meant to be. And that is a glorious thing. And we see evidence of it. We had a week this week. We got to talk to children that some of us had never met before about the gospel of Jesus. And they had smiles on their faces and they enjoyed it and they had a great time and some were begging to come back every day. Some may not have. Like, you know, sometimes we get tired on Friday. All of us were kind of tired. We saw great things. Did you notice at the end of that video, there was a slide up. You may not have seen it. That in our best recollection of years past, 
the most we've ever seen in our efforts to collect money to give to missions to one of our missionaries so that they can put on children's ministry events in another part of the world, that the best we can remember that we've seen was giving in the amount of just over $1,000. That's awesome. This year, the children that came here total gave over $3,000 to do that. You know what that means for those folks across the world? Instead of being able to do 10 children's camps, now they can do 30 children's camps. Is that right? 30? I get mixed up with the numbers. Either way, they can do a lot of children's camps. It costs about $300. My math is totally off for a finance guy. You do 10 camps instead of doing three camps. Thank you. I'm so sorry. That's why I'm a preacher. Don't give me your money to invest. Look, God has set our feet up out of the pit on the eyes of our Nineveh around us, and it is our responsibility to go, every single one of us. That message in Matthew 28 was for everybody. And I know that's overwhelming at times, but let me just share a few things for you. That like Jonah, God has redeemed us to proclaim his message of redemption, the gospel, to everyone everywhere. The same message he told to Jonah. He said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And let me tell you this, our message is simple and it's clear. It's not complicated. You don't have to know a lot of verses in the Bible to be able to tell people the message. There's one place I'd love for you to commit to memory. It's in second, or sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Write that down. Make a note. Go back and watch it again later. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it for us right now. This is what Paul tells us, a short version of the gospel. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are now being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it is. For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So that Christ died, was buried, and was raised for our sins. And then we see Jesus' own words in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where he says, the time is fulfilled. This is the part we call people to. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent or turn and believe in the gospel. That's the message. It's simple. My favorite way to say it is, Jesus is awesome and we're not, so follow that guy. You can just tell it. Listen, brothers and sisters, you don't have to have it perfect, but we need to be obedient. He has chosen to use us because he loves us, not because he needs us, because he can't do it without us, but because he loves us and wants us to have the joy of participating with him in one of the most miraculous and overwhelming things, which is to be a part of seeing someone else come to faith. There's nothing else like it. We have some in the medical professional and profession in here that have seen people come back to life, and that's astounding. Maybe been a part of bringing someone back to life. But nobody has ever seen someone who was dead and has always been dead spiritually come to life that will last for eternity unless you have shared the gospel of Jesus. And that's something he's allowing us to be a part of. And this message 
Here's a big part. Must be proclaimed in the power of God. The good news is it doesn't have to come in your power. The power of God is in the word of God. Look at verses 1 through 5. The power of God is in the word of God. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know why this impacted people. Some say that sociologically they might have been going through some really hard times with famines and stuff, but we don't know. What I do know is people go through that all over the world even now and don't put their hope in Jesus. So there must be something more than that. And these people didn't just listen to Jonah because he showed up smelling fishy, right? He was a guy that showed up preaching a message that they probably had heard before from other Israelites as they crushed them. And Jonah brings the message, but something's different this time. Why? Because it's the word of the Lord that he's speaking. And he said, go and speak, and they're speaking that word. Look, verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. That's amazing. That God used the words of a guy who didn't even want to go to them, saying just negative things, and God used that to bring people to believe in him. That's an amazing moment in history, but it doesn't just stay in history. We can do the same thing by speaking the glorious good word of God's grace and mercy in Jesus and be a part of something greater than ourselves, be a part of something greater than even our lives can do in any other area because it'll last for eternity. Let me tell you this too, the power of God like this is in the anointing of God's messengers. God had anointed this guy to go do his bidding. He was a prophet. He called him out to do it. And anybody that puts their hope and faith in Jesus has the Holy Spirit of God residing with you, living with you as you follow Jesus. And so you and I, if you've put your hope and faith in Jesus, have all been anointed of the Lord. And so we all have the power of God, the same power where God spoke and mountains came out of the ocean, where he spoke everything into being out of nothing. That same power resides in us so that we can be a part of taking the message out there. And just like I don't don't need my child to help me mow the yard or to do anything else, but I allow him to help me do a project around the house or to help me do something inside or just to, to help me put the bait on the hook, right? How dangerous that is for a five-year-old. God uses us and does amazing things with our brokenness. I like to say that God can use crooked sticks to draw straight lines. And that's who we are. We need healing. We need help. And as he helps us, we share that help with others in his mercy. And God does fantastic things. But it comes through the unction. That's the old word for it. The unction of the Holy Spirit. God pouring out his Holy Spirit on you. Look, and that comes through prayer. God's Spirit lives within you. But here's how this works. You can quench the Holy Spirit. I don't know how this works that we could quench God moving in us. But I know that we are not that powerful. But he says, you must be face to face with me. And we can turn our eyes away from him. And God can cease putting power in our efforts. But we turn back to Him and we get face to face and we pray and we get on our face before Him and we ask for Him to do mighty things and we ask for Him to fill us with His Holy Spirit and to speak for us and He will do fantastic things. Ian Bounds, if you've never read him, read him on prayer. He talks about it in some big glorious ways I'm not going to go into now. But one other commentator talks about it in this way. He says, this unction is our great need. Those who preach and teach need it. And Christians have a corporate responsibility to pray for anointed preaching and teaching 
But we also need to look to God for this anointing on our own personal witness, even upon the few sentences which we may speak for Christ to others. When God's anointing is on our witness, eloquence of speech is of no advantage. The ability to speak only a few sentences is no hurdle to the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians, his letter to the Ephesians, he prays this. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or prayers for the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Jesus even tells the disciples, don't worry about what you say when they call you in to talk about me, because the Holy Spirit will give you the words you need in that moment. Just be obedient is the message. Open the mouth. Speak of his mercy. And the best way to do that is to show how God has helped us in our weaknesses. So let us begin to pray for one another like that. Let us begin to pray that God would fill us with the Holy Spirit and speak through us for the sake of the souls of the people that we know and love and that we walk by every day. And the good news, another part of it, is that the Holy Spirit does all the heavy work, all the heavy lifting. You can't save anybody. You can't change anybody. Have you figured that out? I try to change my kids all the time. God's used them to change me more than I'll probably ever change them. That's how he often works. But I can't change hearts, but God can do that. He uses his Holy Spirit in fantastic ways. He opens our minds to understanding things. Look at verse 5 and 6. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. A king to humble himself before his people could be the end of him. But God's Holy Spirit worked on that man and changed him right then and there because that's the kind of powerful God we serve. And he can do that with anybody. You think somebody could never come to faith? That's what many thought about me back in my day when selling drugs and running crazy. And you know what he did? He changed me from the inside out because he is in the business of changing people to look more and more like Jesus. He can change anybody. So let us tell everybody about somebody who can change anybody. That's the message. He can change anybody. The Holy Spirit illumines our minds and he convicts us of our sin. You see that conviction there. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Then it reached the king. Verse 6, he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. That's a public display of saying, we are sorry, we repent, we grieve over our evilness. He goes on, verse 7. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. They recognized in that moment, maybe for the first time, that their violence was not the way. God was changing hearts and they were repentant. They mourned over their sin. That same commentator later on talks about that I read earlier. He says this, talking about this part of the passage. To have become a Christian is in some measure to have come to realize our danger, to have been convicted of it for ourselves. It is to come under an obligation to warn others also and to do everything within our powers to rescue them from the verge of spiritual disaster. It is unlikely that others will be convinced of their danger if we are not convinced of it. 
what he's describing is urgency because we see the reality. People that are not spiritually alive don't understand the spiritual situation that they are in. People that do not understand God's command to be like him and be holy don't understand that to go against him, which all of us have, is to set ourselves up to come under the wrath of God for all eternity. And we don't know when that moment's going to come when we pass from this life to the next. So there is great urgency. And how will people listen to us if we don't see the danger for ourselves or for them? So the Holy Spirit produces a spiritual mourning that we see going on in verses 6 through 8. This crying out to the Lord. They're, they're asking, they're doing all these things to show how they're broken. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is what it looks like to be changed by God and to repent of sin. And then in verses 8 and 9, we see the Holy Spirit imparting faith and repentance. Look at it, verse 8, in the middle of it there. Let everyone turn, that's repent, from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Repentance is turning from our sin and turning toward God. Absolutely turning toward God away from our sin. Not just turning from it, but abandoning our sin. And that's what we see going on here. They're laying it all down. And that's what we must do as well. And the thing is this, no matter if it's your first day knowing Jesus or your one millionth day knowing Jesus, every day we've got things to turn and lay down because God continues to show how far the sin has invaded us and how much it has hit us and changed us. But the best news is the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us that way. He keeps drawing us back out. God is faithful to show us mercy when we turn back. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Today I'm here to tell you that maybe this is the first time that you've ever heard this. Today is a day of repentance. Today is the day of salvation. If you'll put your hope and faith in Jesus, turn from your sin, turn unto the Lord, you today can come to faith in Jesus. Whether the first time you've ever heard it or the 10 millionth time you've ever heard it, today is the day if you'll put your hope and faith in Christ that you can walk away knowing that you are his. That word repent is in here in these few verses it's in here four times. In fact, the last three verses it says it four times. Let everyone turn from his evil way. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. That word is there because it shows us multiple times in a row that that's what this is all about. This whole passage is about us needing to repent, turn to the Lord. Today is the time to turn to the Lord. Jonah was running from the face of the Lord and God brought him through hell in the water, through death, to turn him back to the right path. God, if he's pursuing you today and he's working in you, believe me, he will do whatever it takes to get you where he wants you so that he can bring you to where you need to be because he loves you too much to leave you where you are. So today can be the day of repentance for you. Maybe today is God's appointed day for you. Certainly it's a day for us as a church to repent. Right, so all you who are not believers, I don't know who you are, in the church, not in the church. I mean, I'm not talking to you for a second. I'm talking to those who love Jesus already and are walking with him. Maybe that's you as a guest. Maybe that's you who are a part of this faith family. I'm going to ask a few questions. When's the last time that you prayed for our lost community? When's the last time that you prayed for God to open your eyes to the opportunities that are already around us? 
that we just don't see if we're not having eyes to see from the Lord. When's the last time you prayed for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be on you so that when you spoke, God would do the work and you'd have to give Him the glory? When's the last time you spent time praying for God to work through you in His power for the sake of the souls of the people that walk by you every day or that live in your house? Some of you do that often. Some of us could do it a little more. Here's the good news. No matter how much you haven't done it, God loves you anyway. And today's a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Today, just like with Jonah, there's another opportunity for you and I to walk in the ways of Jesus. And we can trust in the Lord. Today is the day, brothers and sisters. One guy said it like this. Jonah would have died rather than pray for the Ninevites. But Jesus not only prayed for the legions of lost people, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But then he dove into the deeps of the belly of death and damnation on the cross of Calvary, drinking down the sea of God's wrath all at once so that all might live. If you will only put your faith and hope in Jesus today, you can know that your sins have been wiped away. The things you've done wrong and the things that you haven't done that you should have done, all that can be wiped away. Yes, yours too. Everybody's. And let me say this, if we ask God to help us to look upon our Nineveh with the eyes of God's mercy and pray for the people of Etowah County and ask God to show us opportunities for us to be able to give them the hope of Jesus, ask him to give us the power of his Holy Spirit to speak the love and mercy of Jesus to them, then we can be a part of seeing revival in this land. I don't mean a tent that we gather in for a few days. I'm talking about where God would change lives in a way that would be miraculous and maybe change our city. We think we've got problems in our city here because uh, we need to fix a few things socially or fix a few things economically. Those things will help a few people for a short amount of time, but the only thing that's going to make a long-term impact is for people to come from death to life spiritually and to be changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray for that kind of revival. The same commentator said this. He said, revival often comes... When the church begins to take this situation with seriousness, when like Jonah, it is awakened to the needs of men and women who do not know God. Revival is needed, and we must pray for it. But evangelism is the divine command, and we must be obedient to it. Maybe you're afraid. I am too. Every time I open my mouth to talk about Jesus, I'm afraid somebody's going to say something that stumps me, or that even makes fun of me or that puts me in my place. But you know what? It's not up to our intellect or our eloquence to bring people to Jesus. But if we've been changed by him and we know what we've been saved out of, then we are the only ones who can give that message of mercy to others. And when the time is right for them and when God puts them in your way and you're obedient to talk about the Lord to them and about his grace and goodness because of what he did for us on the cross, he will use you in a way that will change your life and will save their souls. And that's what we're called to do. So let us not be like Jonah. Let us ask the Lord to make us more and more like Jesus today. 
And if today's the first time this has ever impacted your heart as you're hearing this message about Jesus, and today God has changed you on the inside, I want to encourage you to talk to him in a moment. As I pray, I want you to pray with me. I'm not going to give you a prayer to repeat, but I want you to pray, and I want you to know that I'll be down here right in this front row. If you want somebody to pray with you, I'll be here. We can do it now, we can do it after, but I will wait till everybody is gone before I leave this place so that you have an opportunity. But don't walk out the door without doing what God is leading you to do. Maybe you need a faith family and you're looking for that. Don't walk out of this place without us talking about it first. Or turn to the friends that invited you or invited your children and ask them how you can be a part of a place that loves Jesus. Not that's perfect. We are not perfect people. If you're perfect, you're not going to like it here. But if you've got broken things in you, if you've messed up, if, you, if you've found that you, you need help in life and that you can't do it by yourself, this is a place for you. That's who we are. The only difference we might have is that we found Jesus and we want you to find him too. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you for your loving us even when we aren't very lovable at times. But we thank you for this opportunity this week to serve children, to serve families, to serve adults, Father, who you love and who we are learning to love as well. Help us to love better like your son Jesus has loved us by giving his life on the cross. Help us to love them in a way that gives you honor and glory and that gives us the ability to open our mouths in your power to speak of the goodness of Jesus. And Lord, we ask for you to bring people to faith in this place and around us Lord, for your glory, that we might speak of your goodness, that we might sing of your praise and glory that you alone deserve. For you are the one who brings people out of the depths of the pit. Lord, bring people out of the depth of the pit today. Help us, Lord. We need you. We need you. Help us, Lord. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.